0: So glad to be with you on this closing night of convention, and I'm excited for what God's going to do. I mentioned that youth convention changed my life, and it changed my life in more than one way. Uh, it's where I gave my life to Jesus. It's also where I got called to ministry. I think the most exciting thing about youth convention is that the most exciting thing doesn't happen at youth convention. The most exciting thing happens when you leave youth convention, and God uses you and deposits in you and you begin to use the gifts and the talents and the... The things that he deposited in your life over this weekend uh, to make an impact in, in your city. Again, I, I want to uh, send some love to all the sites. I don't think it's a, a coincidence that we're we're scattered uh, today because I think God wants to bring a message tonight that's going to challenge us to impact our communities and make a difference. If you believe it, say amen. All right. And so we're going to pray real quick, but we're not going to just pray for, for me or for or for tonight. I want to pray for yourself. Once you just put your hand on your heart, we're going to lay hands on ourselves tonight. And here's what we're going to pray. Not that God would use the preacher, but that God would use you, that God would use me. I think he's going to challenge us tonight. So let's do that. Let's set the atmosphere. Father, we love you and we thank you. God, we know that you have a word tonight. We know that you want to challenge us. We know that you want to bless us. We know that you want to use us. We know that you love our cities, our schools, our middle schools, our high schools, our colleges. And God, we know that you could have sent anybody to live there. You could have sent anybody to be from there, but I'm from there. You sent me there. And I just pray, God, that you would use me. Come on, say that to the Lord right now. Say, use me however you want to use me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I love preaching. I've done it since I was 12 years old. And uh, it's a passion of mine. I like studying preachers, learning from them. And if there's any preacher I wish that I could listen to, it wouldn't be T.D. Jakes or Stephen Furtick or the amazing Pastor Rob Ketterling or Kirby. uh, I think if there's one preacher I would love to have listened to, it would have been Jesus. How many people say amen? Man, I would have loved to catch a a Jesus sermon on YouTube. Unfortunately, uh, we didn't record any of those, but the one sermon that Jesus did preach is recorded in the scriptures, and it's in Matthew chapter five, and we're going to read from Matthew chapter five. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus's message, and uh, it was preached on a mount. And I actually had the opportunity to visit this location. It's really cool because it's kind of like a natural uh, amphitheater. It's like a little mountain and then there's a lake and there's a whole nother city on the other side. And the cool thing was, is that my wife and I, when we went to Israel, we were on one side of the lake and we could actually hear. We couldn't see all too well the people on the other side of the lake, but we could actually hear the conversations that people were having on the other side of the lake. Sound actually traveled across this lake. It was easy to hear. And this is significant because Jesus is speaking to his followers in Matthew chapter five, but he's speaking to his followers, catch this, knowing that other people are going to hear it. Not every message was like that. Sometimes Jesus would like preach like one-on-one or sometimes Jesus would speak in the upper room or sometimes Jesus would speak in a garden where no one else could hear it. One theologian said this, this was a message whispered to the church. Were heard around the world. The environment was like a sermon illustration. The mountain was just a prop. This is what Jesus was doing. He's saying, I'm preaching to the church before the city. You know, sometimes God will do things to you that's not for you. Like when Jesus was dying on the cross, they were like, man, what did this guy do to deserve dying on the cross? But just because it was happening to Jesus doesn't mean it was happening for Jesus. He was dying. It was happening to him, but it was for it was for you. There was a blind guy who was born blind one time, and, and the disciples looked at the blind guy who was born blind and asked Jesus, whose fault is it that this, that this blind guy was born blind? Was it his fault? Was his parents' fault? And Jesus said, no, don't get it twisted. It's happening to him, but it's not happening to, it's happening for you because I'm about to heal him, and you're about to see my power. You're about to see glory. There are some things in your life that are happening to you but they're not for you, they're for others. This is why so many people miss their breakthrough, by the way, because you think it's for you. <laughs> and, so, and, so, and so you go to youth convention, you get an awesome blessing, and you're like, yeah, this is great, and you go back home, and you still got the same struggles, and you still got the same issues, and you're like, man, I haven't experienced my breakthrough. Yeah, but what you need to do is stop looking at yourself and and start looking at all the people that your life is impacting. Maybe you got the same struggles, maybe you got the same issues, but you just raised $25,000 that's going to go help the gospel go all across the world. Listen, this might be happening to you, but it's not for you. This is, by, this is why we call it breakthrough, by the way, because there's other people who are getting delivered through you, wow. through you. Are you ready? Convention is happening to you, but it's not for you. <laughs> What's happening tonight is t- happening to you. The music, they're singing to you. I'm preaching to you, but it's not for you. It's for every single one of your friends, family members, teachers, principals who are not here today. For everyone who doesn't know Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we gather so we can scatter, to be a blessing. I know that because in Matthew chapter 5, he spends verse 1 through 12 talking about blessings. But in verse 13, Jesus tells us why we're blessed. I'll go to the scriptures. Matthew five thirteen. It goes like this, let me tell you why you are here. Can we just like time out right there? Like that's a pretty good verse right there. If you were, if you were bored, if if you, if you were bored, if you weren't interested in this sermon, you got Jesus about to tell you 12 year old, 13 year old, 17 year old, why you're here on this planet. Let me tell you why you're here. Pay attention. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Somebody say shine. Shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God. This generous father in heaven. The title of my sermon tonight is C-S-E-E, C-Salt. C-Salt. In the scriptures, God calls us salt. Which, I gotta be honest, not really that impressed, God. Salt really doesn't do it for me, God. Especially considering you had the entire periodic table at your disposal. I mean, you could have picked anything. You could have picked fire, you know what I'm saying? Because I burned the house down. You know what I'm saying? You could have picked water because we quenched the thirst of people looking for life. You, you could have picked iron. He should have called us iron because we just be <laughs> murking the devil, you know what I'm saying? Just thank him real quick. Just Right? Or he could have called us gold, you know, because gold is valuable. But of all things on this planet, he chose to describe his people as... Salt. And it's actually because I think he was trying to convey value. So you might not know this because salt is pretty cheap right now. But in the Bible times, did you know that salt was just as valuable as gold? Salt was worth its weight in gold. In fact, Roman soldiers would get paid with salt. That's what they got paid with. That's where we get the word salary from. Salt. Salt. Salary. That's where, if you've ever heard the saying, this man is worth his way in salt. Salt was very expensive because first it was really hard to mine. A lot of people died in the Dead Sea trying to make salt, but also because salt has over 14,000 uses. If you don't believe that? Google it. It's true. 14,000 Uses Just to name a couple of them, you use salt to disinfect things. If you're a Minnesotan, you know you use salt to make the ice melt, right? Another thing you used to use salt for, which is important, okay, was to, before we had refrigerators, we couldn't keep our food preserved. We couldn't keep our food fresh. See what I did? I put in the theme. Fresh. You had to put salt on it to keep it from going still. Can you imagine that, having to keep, and imagine if you were like one of those homes that like didn't have salt to keep your food fresh and your mom made like a zebra, you know, and like, and you're like, mom, I'm full, I can't eat anymore. She's like, you're gonna finish that thigh, okay? We can't preserve this thing. You better eat it, you better lick the hoof. We can't waste this food. <laughs> Right? You use salt for everything. Now, here's the crazy thing to me salt can still do those things. Yet it's cheap. Why? If it can still do over 14,000 things. Because God doesn't value things the way man values things. See, see men value things, and women, humanity, value things based on their rarity. That's why when salt became more common, the price dropped because you could find it everywhere. That's why gold is still valuable because gold is still rare. When men value things, they value them on their rarity. That's why we collect baseball cars and we sell R and that's why LeBron's rookie car sold for a million dollars last month because it's rare. We value things based on their rarity. Go Lakers. (laughs) Gold is valuable because gold is still rare. So maybe maybe with this foresight, don't you think God should have called us gold then? If he knew that gold was going to eventually be more valuable than, uh, than, than salt, don't you think God should have called us gold? And, and, and I don't think so. And here's why I don't think so. I don't know if you even noticed it. But gold, you can't use it. But like for nothing, you can't eat it. You can't lick it, I mean, you can, but you'll be weird if you do that. If you're cold, gold don't keep you warm at night. It's not going. If, you, if your pissed stink, you can't rub it underneath there, it's not gonna do much. For, for you, gold, all that gold does, are you ready? All that gold does is be shiny. This is the only thing gold has for it. It, All it does is it looks pretty. I think God said it right. I think when God called the salt, he meant to call the salt because to God, salt is more valuable than gold. Because for God, gold is not rare. Y'all remember that in heaven, the streets are made of it. And by the way, that's how little he thinks of it, that we actually walk on it. Gold has no value for because for God, listen, for God, what God values is not rarity. What God values is usefulness. God can't value things on rarity. It'd be impossible because if there was anything rare to God, he'd just make more of it. He's God. I mean, if there was a flower that was rare, he'd just he'd make another flower. If there was an animal that was rare, he'd be like, this is extinct. There's only one in the whole world. God be like, no, there's two. I just, just got it up. That's what I did right now. If there, if there was, if there was any element in the world that was, that was rare, God would just make more of it. There's only one thing God can't make. God can't make you kind. God can't make you helpful. God can't make you serve. God can't make you love. Are you catching it? Uh, Gold is not rare to God. Obedience is. And when we begin to show God obedience, we show God what's gold to him. Because that's the thing he doesn't have a lot of in this world. That's the thing he doesn't have a lot of in this earth. The goal is not to be rare. The goal is to be useful. That's where our worth comes from. We're currently in the hunt for a building, a church building. If you know anybody that's got buildings in Orlando and, and I'm looking for good buildings. And I remember praying. I said, Lord, you know, all we got is this little kind of rundown kind of school right here. And if there's any way, you know, you can give us something nicer. That'd be, that'd be good. Lord, <laughs> you know what God told me? He said, JJ, I don't need a shiny church. I need a useful church. Can I ask you a question? Are you spending more time trying to be shiny or, or useful? Are you, are you spending more time trying to be valuable or add value? Are you spending more time trying to look impressive or leave an impact? I think there are a lot of people in this world. We spend our lives trying to be shiny, trying to get living for the likes and trying to get people to look at us. But, but let me tell you something. What God values more than anything else in the entire earth is doing his will. It's serving people. It's being obedient to his word for God. What's rare is obedience. So salt, man, salt's got a couple things for it. Something salt does is really important. Salt enhances flavor, enhances flavor. I'm going to tell you the story of the, of the best steak I ever had in my life. I love steak. Yes. Best steak I ever had in my life was at a youth camp. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Well, let me tell the story before you judge me. So it was at a youth camp in the Northwest. And, uh, and after I preached, the, there was a, the guy who ran the whole camp had his cabin across the lake. So you thought it was like the camp food? No, we didn't mess with that camp food. We had we had special food. I mean, I'm sure the camp food in Minnesota is five stars, but you know. But uh, yes, come on, that corn that corn is delicious. Amen. And uh, so he took me over to his house and he gave me this steak. And when he gave me the steak, he, it was in tinfoil. He unwrapped it. And, uh, and, and I was like, before I even tasted it, because I wasn't a big steak guy at the time, I, asked, I said something I shouldn't have said. I said, uh, I said, this was awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Um, do you have any A1? <laughs> Which is the steak sauce, if you're not familiar. You would have thought I cussed out his mama <laughs> by the way he responded to me by asking for A1. He said, A1. A1? A1? We don't be doing A1 on this. What are you talking about? take a bite of the steak. I was like, I really like some A1. Take a bite of the steak. Yes, sir, I'll take a bite of the steak right now. (laughs) It was delicious. It was so juicy. It was so tender. I had to ask him. I'm like, man, what did you put on this steak? Maybe put some adobo. I'm like, I'm Latino, so we got this steak called adobo. I'm like, some adobo on there, bro. What you got on this, man? Oh <laughs> my I love y'all. Y'all need to be louder during the sermon, okay? I said, what'd you put on this? He said, all I did was add some salt. He said, Jesus. <laughs> I love it. Your youth convention, amen. He said, all I did was add some salt. He said, you don't got to add other flavors because you know what salt does? Salt makes whatever you're eating taste better. It brings out the natural flavors. It just tastes better. You know, when, God, when Jesus said you're the salt of the earth, the word that he used in earth is ghee. It means like the natural, tangible, physical earth down here. Do you know that Christians are supposed to make the world taste better? Like that's our job. Our job is to make it better. Like the other day I was, I was preaching and, and I was bringing up racial injustice. Somebody got mad at me. And they said, listen, it's been a couple months since the whole thing that happened in Minnesota. He was like, I, can't we just preach Jesus? I was like, I thought that's what I was doing. Cause that's all that Jesus did when he was here. He just helped and he served and he made sure that the, those who suffered injustice got fair treatment and Jesus just tried to make things better. You know that you know you're a Christian when you make things better? Christians are supposed to make sports better. We're supposed to make the government better. We're supposed to make politics better. We're supposed to make business better. We're supposed to make the medical field better. We're supposed to make church better. We're supposed to make our high schools better. We're supposed to make the libraries better. We're supposed to make relationships better and marriages better and kids better. We're supposed to make things better. That's what we do. That's what we do we, that's what God has called us to be, to be the salt seasoning of the, when you step into something. So that's what we do. There are a lot of people who think that church is, is, is kind of us teaching the world the exit sign for earth. You know, like, I know this place sucks, but heaven like, like, can I just tell you heaven is not the message of Christianity. Church is not about pointing to the exit sign of life. Like, yeah, you know, we got some race stuff. We got a pandemic, but hey, hopefully one day you die. (laughs) And then there's uh, heaven. Like, is that our message? No. Jesus never preached, go to heaven. He said, let heaven come to earth. (laughs) Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not about going there. It's about bringing their ear bringing the peace here, bringing that joy here, bringing that love here, bringing that fire here. We're supposed to bring heaven to earth, y'all. We make it better. Salt does something else too, because when you preach, you do research, and I I researched salt. (laughs) It was the most boring and interesting three hours of my life. (laughs) Here's what I learned about salt. Do you know how salt makes food better? I'm glad you asked. It doesn't actually add flavor. In every food, there is a chemical in the food that makes the food taste bitter. Some food has more of this than others. Here's what salt does. Salt makes food better by neutralizing the bitterness. That's naturally found in food. It actually neutralizes the bitterness to make it better. I told you that salt makes the world better. Here's what salt also does. It keeps us from being bitter in this world. There's a lot of beauty, but there's also a lot of bad, but you don't have to let the bad make you bitter. You know, sometimes the best way to get out of a funk, sometimes I'll never forget. I remember one time I was just kind of in a spiritual rut and, uh, and, and I was just like, I went to my pastor and I was like, you know, I'm just not feeling it. I'm going through some stuff emotionally, mentally. Do you have any suggestions? And my pastor was like, you should go on a three day fast. I was like, amen. He was like, there's a room in my house. You can live in my room for three days if you just want to just not eat food and just pray and read the Bible. And I was like, hey man, yes, I'm going to do that. And I went in there, day one, felt nothing. Day two, felt nothing. But on day three, come on, the third day when Jesus rose from the dead, I felt nothing. I felt nothing. It was the worst fast of my life. (laughs) And I came out of that. Room all depressed and down and I got in the car and I was about to turn in my resignation at the youth ministry that I worked at because I just wasn't feeling ministry anymore and I wasn't feeling uh, just the joy of the Lord anymore. And as I'm walking to the to my pastor's office to let him know that I'm kind of done with ministry, a student comes up to me. The student begins to share their problems and share their issues. I spent five minutes with that student, gave him counsel, gave him advice, prayed for him. He went on his way and all of my strength came back. I'm trying to tell you some problems you sing your way out of. Holy, holy, holy. <laughs> yeah. some, some problems you pray your way out of. Other problems you fast your way out of but there are some problems in life Please learn this at a young age that you serve your way out of One of the best ways you can This is what I do now when I begin to get emotionally heavy in this season I pick up the phone and I call someone who I know needs encouragement and even though I'm praying for someone to do it for me by me doing it for someone else God fills up my tank when we start serving the ugliness of the world, the bitterness of the world, the pain of the world, the hurt of the world, it can't get inside because we're too busy serving. We're too busy helping. We're too busy loving. I'm telling you, I, I think I, I, it's a little selfish of me. <laughs> I'm, I'm serving now to help me. <laughs> Giving up my life now to help others. It's It's refreshing. It's refreshing. Salt makes it better. Salt keeps me from being bitter. Oh, so I'm just saying, so you got two options, okay? You can either be salt or be salty. It's your choice. You can, you can let the situation that you're facing right now cause you to roll up into a bowl and shut down, or you can get out and you can help somebody. And I promise you that if you muster the strength to help someone, helping someone else is going to help you. And this is just a side note right here because I got a little pet peeve and maybe it's because I'm a lead pastor now, but it happened when I was in youth group too. Let me just tell you, I don't know if you've ever heard somebody leave a church or leave a youth group and their excuse has been, well, you know, I just had to go because I'm not being fed. Can I just tell you right now and all y'all watching online in the sites, don't ever leave a youth group or church because you're not being fed. For those who are new to church, that means like, the pastor's preaching isn't really doing it for me anymore. I'm not being spiritually fed anymore. Here's my question about being fed. But if you're salt, doesn't salt go on food so that others can? I'm just curious about this whole being fed thing, cause like, are you, did he call you the meat of the world? Or did he call you the, so if he called you the salt, that means that you're not at church to be fed. You're at, you're at church to feed others. Hey, church does not exist for us. We are the church and we exist for the world. We're the ones they feed off of. We're the salt. So that's never a good reason to leave a church. Here's a good reason to leave a church. There's no opportunities for me to serve. But if there's a door that can be held open, if there's a kids ministry, if you can work at the nursery, if you can play a drum or an instrument, if you can give money to speed the light, then you can be salts. And you can change your environment and you can change your world. Worship team could come on up as I wrap up that's salt. That's salt. The other one was remember, see, he said, you're the light of the world. Somebody say light Light. Matthew 514. You are the light of the world. What does light do? Light helps people see, 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 see what the answer is hidden in translation. He said, you're the, you're the salt of the earth. He said, light of the world. But the word world in the Greek, there's a lot of definitions, but the, world, the word world in the Greek is, is the word cosmos. What, what do you think of when you think of cosmos? Space, sky, the stars, up high. In other words, he's saying our salt is here to help people see what's up there. You see, see, salt is about morality, but the light is about spirituality. The, the salt is our service, but the light is the reason why we serve, to point people to the one who died for them, to point people to the creator, the maker, the one who can give them hope and life. You got to see, you got to see. Worship team can come up whenever. You got to see. See what? See what? See what? Two things. Number one, you got to see God in them. I see God in them. Why was it such a tragedy when George Floyd was killed over the summer? I heard one person say, I totally disagree. He said, because he's a living being and living beings matter. Living beings, living beings. And I'm like, living beings? Because I will swat a mosquito quicker than you know what. And last I checked, a mosquito was a living being. Well, all living beings deserve respect. You don't feel that same way about the roaches in your house. Or the mice in your house. Can we expand it? Can I tell you why it was a tragedy? Because that wasn't a living being. Jesus said, when you do it to the least of these, you do it to me. The tragedy was that the man under that officer's knee wasn't George Floyd, it was Jesus. It was Jesus. When you see a hurting person, that's not a, a stranger, that's, that's Jesus. I'll never forget a story I heard about Mother Teresa. She went to an orphanage in Calcutta, if you're not familiar with her, in Calcutta's in India. And she had some donors coming from the United States to see all the work that she was doing. And uh, she freaked them out because she busted up into the orphanage crying. She said, I found him. I found him. I found him crying. I found him. I found him. The sponsors were like, who did you find? And she's like, you won't believe me. They're like, who? Oh, Your Mother Teresa. We're going to believe you. She's like, our savior, I found him. They're like, Jesus? She's like, yes, Jesus. They said, take us to him. So they ran out the house, winded down the streets of India, running as fast as they can till finally they reached the edge of an alley where a little boy covered in his own excrement, bones sticking through his chest because he hadn't eaten a meal in months. She fell to her knees and she said, look, savior of the world, Jesus. Because when you do it to the least of these, you do it to me. How would you treat people differently if you didn't see people when you saw people? But you saw Jesus when you saw people. It changes everything. So so I'm going to help people see by seeing God in them. But I'm also going to help people see by helping people see God himself. And that's hard to do. Because in this world, man, they're trying to get you to look everywhere but God. But there's a way we can do it, y'all. The Bible says that God is invisible and that nobody can see him. But the next verse says this, but when we love one another, God is seen. When you love somebody, God's love is shown. When God's love is shown, God is shown. And when people see God, their whole lives change. I know this because there's a story in the Bible of a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee man, <laughs> small guy. There's a song that talks about wee men, but small guy. He heard Jesus was coming to town because he was so short. He couldn't see over the crowds. And so he climbs a tree. He looks at the tree, he climbs a tree. He looks and he sees Jesus. When he makes eye contact with Jesus, Jesus makes eye contact with Zacchaeus. He says, Zacchaeus, I want to go over your house for dinner. Zacchaeus says, absolutely. Come on in. Jesus and Zacchaeus share one meal. And in the middle of that meal, Jesus didn't preach a message. He didn't do the whole Sermon on the Mount thing. In the middle of the meal, Zacchaeus says, I repent for all that. He was also a tax collector. He stole a lot of money from his own people. And those people who he stole money from were there watching him, actually gossiping about Jesus. If Jesus knew who this man was, how could he? And the Bible says that when Zacchaeus heard all the gossip that was being spoken about Jesus, he repented of his sins to Jesus be the Lord of my life. If I mistreated anybody, I want to pay them back four times. I looked at that story a couple times and I'm like, what was the turning point for Zacchaeus? And I think the turning point for Zacchaeus was when he saw Jesus's kindness and what Jesus was willing to go through just to have a meal with him. Did you know a meal, just a meal can change someone's life? Just a modicum of kindness, just a hug, Not in COVID era, but just a a wave, just a I see you, just a text message. I'm all for preaching the gospel. I do this with the microphone all the time. But the best ministry that I've ever experienced is when a neighbor comes over the house, I get to serve them, I get to help them, and then I get to tell them about who Jesus is. I'm just telling you, church, uh, Youth Convention, all the other churches, that are watching. God is calling you to meals with people. He's calling you to dinners. He's calling you to baseball games. He's calling you to to video game, multiplayer link-ups with the kid that nobody else hangs out with because by showing love, we show God. And when people see God, their whole life changes. Their whole life changes. So my question to you is then this, who is willing to be the salt? and light of the earth. And, and I know at youth convention, even though there's not 4,000 kids in here like that, we're all, we all get hype. I think that's the best thing about youth conventions. You could be a terrible preacher and the altars will still be packed because the kids, man, you guys, you guys are just so passionate and you're so hype and you're so energetic. But before you say yes to this, let me remind you that the salt gets scattered. Like one of the most dangerous prayers you can pray ever in your life is God use me. Because he don't play with that prayer. He will use you and the people that he uses in life, they end up doing great things. But most of the people that he uses in life have to end up giving up great things too. But I think if we came together in 21 different sites and said, God, help me be so. You know that technically y'all are the social media generation, right? Technically what the world wanted to make out of you was shiny. People can look and see, but your calling is way greater than being shiny. You're not called to be shiny. You're called to be useful. Let me say it another way. You're not called to be shiny. You're called to shine. Yeah, you are useful. And you know it too. Deep down, deep down, you know you were made for something more, something bigger than yourself. I want to give you an opportunity tonight to say yes to that call. To say, yeah, God, I'm willing to go, I'm willing to go be that salt. I'm willing to go make things better. Whatever realm you're in, you don't need a, a, an instrument to do it wherever you're at. Whatever you do, if it's hockey, basketball, if it's debate, if it's whatever you do, make it better. Point people to Jesus. Be kind. Amen. So this is what we're gonna do. It's gonna be a little hard to navigate in 21 different sites, but, I wanna count to three. I wanna say a prayer, and I'm gonna count to three. At the end of my prayer, when I count to three, if you're out of sight, I want you to follow the instructions of whoever takes the microphone. They might ask you to come to the front. They might ask you to stay in your seat. But here, in this location, after my prayer, after I count to three, I want you to come to the front the moment I say three if, and only if, you're willing to be the salt and the light. You're willing to help people see by being the soul. This, I going to just warn you again. It's a dangerous prayer. I was 12 years old when I prayed it. Holy Spirit, have your way with me. Use me. And I haven't looked back since. And it's been rough. but It's been worth it. My life matters. And yours will too. When you use it for Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to pray. Say amen. Then I'm going to say one, two, three. And if that's you... And you want to say yes to the call, you're going to come to the front. Just lay your life down at the feet of the master. Father God, we love you and we thank you. We are eternally grateful and indebted to your power and your saving mercy and your love. God, your love. God, your love. Your love, your love, your love, your love, your love. It's why I do what I do because you love me so. It's why we come to this building. It's why we've gathered in 21 different locations because you love us so. Your love has solved all of my insecurities. Your love has rescued me from a life of sin and depravity. Your love has given me purpose. Your love has turned into one wife and two kids and two dogs. Your love has turned into the dream job of my life. Your love has turned into the morning sun, the stars at night, your love. Here's why I mention it, Lord, because we want others to see that love. We want others to experience that love as you overflow our hearts. And I believe you're overflowing hearts right now in this room and and all in the rooms that are watching as you're overflowing hearts, Lord God, I believe, God, that that overflow will spill into our schools. God, I believe you're calling Youth Alive missionaries right now. I believe you're calling someone to give $10,000 to speed the light by the end of the year. I believe you're raising up church planters right now. You're raising up authors and musicians and songwriters, Lord God, for your glory. I believe right now there are countries being deposited in the heart of students. Countries like Uganda and Tanzania, and China and Hong Kong, God, and South America. Those countries are there because you're raising up missionaries right now. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would baptize people tonight as a sign of that ministry calling, that you would empower them to be that missionary, not just abroad, but here at home. Amen.